I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing Book 54, Mallory and the Dream Horse. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I feel like we've had two books in a row now where the A plot and the B plot are very tenuously connected. Well, at least least the two ghostwriters that wrote this book tied up in a bow for us in the second like the penultimate paragraph they 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 actually have to like hang a lantern on how the two are connected so that we can understand it i'm still not sold okay <laughs> oh, fair enough fair enough do you guys have your one sentence summaries ready yeah okay <laughs> Um, mine is mallory loves horses then falls off a horse and decides to love horses from afar mine I had a really tough time summary, summarizing this one, so I just wrote, Mallory finally rides a horse. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't she ride a horse in another book, though, or no? Oh, at uh, yeah, I can't mohawk. Oh, well, whatever. I don't know. She seems like she's never ridden a horse before. <laughs> she's never ridden English style. Oh, right, of course. Yes. <laughs> yes. My one-sentence summary is, I don't understand how any of these plots go together. Okay. Well, you might have missed. I'll I'll help you out with the with the final <laughs> the final page. It helped it helped connect them again very tenuously and very okay. loosely. <laughs> we'll get there if you if you can't get it by the end. Oh, you're, it's going to be a spoiler or like a you're going to make us wait it out. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, spoil yeah. it rather. The, yeah. What's the opposite of a spoiler? <laughs> uh, suspense. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I hate suspense. <laughs> Wait, you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual, and I like health food. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. And I'm Anna Chikawa, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC-related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. Also, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuck in Stony Brook. Woohoo! New hot take. By the time this comes out, hot take will be up where we watch Small Wonder, the first two episodes. So tune in for that. Emily's forgetting that this is an audio medium and making quite a face. So I'm assuming she has some things to say about Small Wonder that you might want to hear. I do. I do. (laughs) All right. So I guess let's give a better summary of this book. Okay, so the A-plot is Mallory gets a flyer in the mail that's advertising horseback riding lessons. And she somehow discerns from just this mailing flyer flyer, that it's relatively inexpensive compared to, I guess, other stables and other lessons she's researched. I'm unclear as to how she (laughs) is so certain that these are affordable, but whatever. And her and Jesse decide to try to convince their parents that, that they can go. And Mallory comes up with this whole pitch and gets her parents to agree to pay for half and she'll pay the other half for babysitting. Jesse's parents say no. And so there's a, like, the second part of the A plot is Jesse and Mallory having a fight over Jesse being envious that Mallory is going to horseback riding lessons and she can't. And Mallory being kind of oblivious to Jesse's jealousy and assuming that something else is wrong that she's like hurt Jesse in some other way or something. And like, then Mallory has a bad time. She falls off a horse, as Esme said, and none of the kids like her. And so she struggles with like, oh, I'm having a bad time at this thing that I thought was going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm in a fight with my friend. I don't know. Is there anything else? Very thorough, Emily. Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) Just telling the plot. (laughs) Serious. And then she has to be at a show in the end. Yeah. Like to learn, to to show everything they've learned in eight one hour lessons, which Mm -hmm. somehow is, what seems to me a lot about horseback Tra- riding and care. Trotting and plotting and other such things. I don't Cantering know. Cantering and remembering your diagonals. That sounds like too much. Yeah. Um, the B plot is Nina Marshall is has started preschool and is having a bad time because she's feeling very attached to her blankie and is dragging it around and all the kids are making fun of her. 
So all the babysitting entries are about the blankie and capital yeah. B blankie and all the problems that blankie is causing for the sitters as they sit for the marshals. And then there's like a C plot, which is that the Pike kids are putting on a talent show in the neighborhood. And so like yes. the talent show and the like blankie plot are kind of intertwined. And then like the Mallory getting horseback riding lessons, plus like the friendship dynamics with Mallory and the girls are also kind of intertwined. I feel like there's like four tenuous plots. You, your summary just made me think, should I have liked this book better? Like that's, <laughs> that sounds like a lot going on. But it felt like not much. Yeah. And I think to Anne's like summary, to me, it all felt very loosely yeah. connected and mm-hmm. like a little bit of a stretch. Well, I, mm-hmm. I always like to read the Goodreads, some of the reviews just for like reader reactions. <laughs> and this one girl says two secondary plots in this book, because even the ghost writers must know that a horse girl Horse girl books are boring as hell. Yeah. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of like talk about Mallory loving horses. So for, I feel like this was very like anticlimactic for me. I expected more horse. It's very more horsey. Yeah. It's very little about the horses. It's mostly about her like experience with the group. No, like, I don't know. Are you guys, there's so much horse in this book. (laughs) I'm looking at both of you like you're nuts. I couldn't believe how much horse horse there was. There's like, oh, we get to learn something about what do kids actually do when they take horseback riding lessons. But like, there's one, like a little bit of kind of drama over Pax, the dream horse, right? So Mallory's dream horse is like a white horse. And there's a kid riding a white horse at her first lesson. And she has to be like, oh, how can I ride this horse? But then like people take turns riding the horse. And that's kind of the end of that plot. And then we learn a lot of terminology for English riding. And that's kind of it. Well, also there's the whole phrase, get back on the horse. And like, she literally just like, I mean, she doesn't. I mean, she does. Yes, she, she does. does. But she, she gets fucked off in, epi- in, in episode in lesson three, and then she still takes five more lessons and does the show. But she really three. doesn't want <laughs> to. Yeah. And then she and quits. she makes it all the way to the finale. Yeah, yeah, she made it all the way to the finale. She doesn't quit. She finishes the eight session cycle and doesn't sign up for another one. Anyway, I'm. I also was wondering, given that we haven't seen two ghostwriters on a book before, I'm wondering if this was two different books smashed together, like the Beatles song "Got a Feeling." Like, I wonder if, like, the Nina plot and the Pike plot were in some other book, and then the two ghostwriters chapters were interwoven, and that's why it feels kind but of why, loose What would be the reason for that? Because there wasn't enough horse plot? I don't know. Yeah. Or one of them didn't know about horses and one did. Like, I, I don't, I didn't look up these ghostwriters, but the, the names don't look familiar to me. So I'm wondering if one of them is, like, the horse ghostwriter. Like... <laughs> Mm-hmm. But also maybe the horse just, ghost comma yes. writer. Right. Like the ghost cat. Poor Mallory. Um <laughs> both poor both Mallory. Time. Yeah, both the title of a book and a common exclamation. Um but it just it feels like that, right? It feels like it was shoved together. I mean, I think the reason would be the unrelenting scholastic publication schedule at this time in ninety-two, because they're getting a book or more out a month that has Anna Martin's name on it. Damn. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of psychology in this book. Um, yeah, a lot so, more than horses. Yeah, a lot. That's true. <laughs> so I'll so I'll jump in. Um, so do you, uh, bl- blankies, stuffies, loveies, all of that stuff. Um, they've been talking about that in psychology for a very long time. Um, the per- first person that sort of named their significance was the British psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott. Um, he died in 1971. So I think he was writing about it in the thirties and forties mostly. Um, but he used the term transitional object, um, to denote a toy, a blanket, something that a child uses to feel comfort when potentially separated from parents and to sort of soothe themselves and get used to being out in the world on their own. So in that sense, Nina's blankie is sort of very classic transitional object that's been written about in psychological history for a very long time. I did a literature search and there's nothing like greatly scientific about, (laughs) about this. It's mostly, you know, I didn't do a super deep dive, but it's descriptive stuff from developmental psychology. Obviously this is, this is something that we all recognize, right? Nobody was like, I've never heard of such a thing. What's wrong with Nina Marshall? You know, that's like a, it's like a classic three or four year old thing to have a blankie. um, I took mine to college. Yeah. 
Exactly. I, my bear is still on my bed every day and I just turned 44. So, um, and your sister Erin also notoriously had a, a blankie that was just little sad scraps um, that... No, mine yeah. was sad scraps. Erin's got lost. Oh, right. That's at right. Wet at Wet Seal in the seal. mall. And my mom made the very young girl who was working there get in the dumpster and look for it. And she could not find it. Yeah, it was a whole thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That and space. <laughs> I wiped it out. I wiped it out. I yeah. know. Well, <laughs> and I was like, now that I'm older, I'm like, mom, it wasn't her fault. She was probably a teenager. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So I think this was this was a, a fairly uh it was a reasonable thing to do a babysitting B plot about. And I sort of liked the girls trying to figure out how to help, although I didn't really get that Mrs. Marshall asked for much help, nor that Nina necessarily needed much help. Like, um, yeah. I don't know. What did you guys think about it? And what do you think about transitional objects in general? I mean, it seems pretty normal to me. Like everyone, every kid is attached to something, I feel, or most kids, it seems like. Right? Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that it was causing so much of a problem for her at school. I feel like a lot of kids probably would have animals or blankies or something that they try at least tried to bring exactly school with them so the fact that it's this like huge point of contention for nina and she's unable to like assimilate at preschool that's the part that seemed most unbelievable to me and i think you're exactly right i think that is the part that's most unbelievable um traditionally the people that tend to be most worried about transitional objects are shocker parents and teachers and other adults not children not other children Um, yeah yeah um and of course that shifts once you get into like third, fourth, fifth grade, you know, if somebody's going to sleepaway camp and they have their blankie or their bear or whatever, some, sometimes kids are cool with it. Sometimes kids are mean about it. Right. But in preschool, it also seemed very early to me. Now they did a good job of making it clear that blankie is like large and unwieldy. (laughs) Um, and so maybe if he's really getting in the way of her, like playing something with another kid, but I, it, they sort of implied that there was like bullying or teasing and that seemed unlikely to me as well. Yeah. The other scene, thing that seemed really unlikely to me is that Nina's mom would put Blanky in the dryer and would come apart into a million pieces. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there was just some like chemistry physics stuff going on that I'm very confused about because clearly she has watched Blanky before. Nina had a whole routine around sitting in the laundry room by the dryer when and when Dawn was sitting... Dawn goes to take it out and it comes apart into a million pieces. And then Dawn thinks on her feet and tells Nina to stuff it into pockets so that she can have Blanky with her, but it's her secret. And I just don't know what material a blanket would need to be made of to go through the dryer hundreds of times and then disintegrate on the final time. Yeah, like maybe, was it like crocheted maybe? Well, you know what's interesting is that I kind of thought, because I don't remember this book at all. I don't even, I don't know if I read it, frankly. Um, but. I was sort of thinking to myself, okay, I could I could picture one of them trying to resolve it by convincing Nina to cut out a piece of it and take it with her to school. And then I was like, oh, this is a convenient plot point. Just have it like disintegrate on its own magically. And then like there's no option but to find a new way to be happy with a new sized Blinky. Like I thought something was going to happen to Blinky where they'd be like, oh, let's just make it smaller and then you can have it all the time and it won't be that big of a deal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that you may not realize this, but I think you were getting that from a Kevin Henke's book from 1993 called Owen. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the yes. plot of Owen. <laughs> Okay, that makes that makes sense as to why I was thinking that. Yeah. Yes, if anybody is a parent and does not have a bunch of Kevin Henke's books, you should go get them. They're adorable and wonderful. Um, and I was actually wondering if the ghostwriters stole this from Kevin Henke's, but they didn't. It came out. Chrysanthemum is a Kevin Henke's book too, right? Yes. 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 Okay. So We're, good. I'm back. Yeah. I have a, Lily's back. purple plastic purse. Yes. Yeah. Oh, love that yeah. one. Okay. Um, also, really good one about anxiety called Wemberly Worried. Um, anyway. This came out first, though. Uh, This book, Mallory and the Horse Girl, predates the publication of Owen. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. um, Maybe Kevin Hankey's read this and was inspired. "Hmm, (laughs) Well, does it really have to disintegrate? Let's do something a little more plausible. I think I can do this. I can. I can (laughs) improve on Mallory and the Horse. I got this. (laughs) Yeah. 
So the other, my other, I guess I'm the one with nuggets today. I liked basically the girls then are talking about the fact that Dawn came up with this brainstorm in the moment, right? Of, you know, making Nina giggle and saying like, oh, you can have a piece of blankie in your pocket here and you could do this, you could do this. And they're, they're sort of processing it at the next BSC meeting. And uh, Claude answers the phone as they're talking about it. Hello, Babysitter's Club. There's no problem we can't solve. Um, and the girls sort of laugh about it and say, oh, she makes us sound like detectives. And then they start reminiscing, which I think is something that ghostwriters do more often than Anna and Martin about plots in other books. They're like, hey, uh, don't. we've also read other books in the series. <laughs> this, this happened before, remember? Like to sort of increase the air of legitimacy. But they're basically saying, um, Christy says, well, in a way we are. A detective has to be quick on her feet, ready to handle any new situation that comes along and able to deal with it in a level-headed way. That's what we do. And I would venture to say that is what good clinical psychologists do. So we often talk about one of our goals with clients is to help them become their own behavioral detective. So a lot of times when we're doing behaviors we don't want to be doing, whether it's something like skin picking or something more dangerous, there's something that's reinforcing it. Like there's some reason that it's helpful. It's either a reduction in anxiety or, you know, sometimes the reason is obvious with drugs and alcohol. It's fun to get high. You know, there's lots of different reasons that people do things, but often people try to stop a behavior without doing a replacement behavior, which is what Dawn did, right? She gives Nina a different behavior um, rather than just saying, no, you can't take the blanket um, or without understanding what is reinforcing about the situation. Um, and so they go on to discuss different things where, they figured out what the problems were with like Matt not being able to communicate directly with other kids in the neighborhood. So they teach other kids sign language so that he can make connections or the Arnold twins not being happy, being treated the same. And so Mallory could lecture the mom and then they can get some more fashion freedom, you know? Um, so I just liked that they, <laughs> that they approached it that way. Um, because it's often the first step to figuring out how to solve a problem is to like just observe and pay close attention to the different things that might be maintaining it. Interesting. So you think like that's a, a sort of burgeoning behavioralist fret, like trend that the girls are practicing? I think um, in psychology, we say behaviorist and hopefully that differentiates from the behavioralism that I think we were discussing that you and Danielle don't like in the, in the previous episode. <laughs> well, it doesn't make yes. sense in political yeah. science. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, so I do think, I do think that they're pretty good behaviorists. I think we see that a lot in the way, the other thing we see that makes them good behaviorists is actually the club notebook, even though everybody hates it, they all agree it's useful, right? So they're, they're taking data, they're making sure they know, what's been happening before. It's kind of a time series analysis of what's going on with the different kids in the neighborhood so that they can then come and, and be the most helpful with what's going on currently instead of basing what they know about it. You know, they might not sit for a family for two months, so they don't want to be coming in with that old information. Right. Interesting. I think that is yeah. useful in any career or just, I mean, I use a lot of it. <laughs> Say more. About just behaviorism or being a behaviorist, just like reading the room <laughs> and understanding totally. people's moods and like how they need to be spoken to and how they react is, I mean, that's yeah. like, you know, office life is working with a bunch of people you probably wouldn't be friends with. <laughs> so I feel like, but people aren't good at that at all in general. Be, be uh, more curious, be detectives. That's my advice. Obviously, we're going to talk. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, be more curious. I was like, isn't that? Oh, I'm thinking about Ted Lasso. Sorry. Yeah, be go curious, ahead. not judgmental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dartboard scene. Also, excellent psychological advice <laughs> and central to DVT, but that's a little far afield from this horse girl book. So we're going to talk a lot about horse girls, I think. And Emily, I think you have more to talk about it. I did do some searches. I did find the phrase in a few dissertations on psych info. So like people are um, trying to see if there is something that is meant by that uh, in the social sciences, but I think like women and gender studies will probably have more better things to say about that. So I'll leave you, leave that to you. Well, that's um, actually really yeah. interesting because I'll, I'll talk about this book in a second, but the, there's a, um, feminist sociologist who writes about horse girls, but using the term horse crazy. And the person who coined that term was Mallory a Pike. pediatric psychiatrist in oh, the eighties. Yeah. That's not surprising at all. 
uh, at <laughs> Yale, John Showalter, and he she pulls a quote from him in, in the intro to the book, which is, I have been struck by a relatively common but not much studied phenomena, the horse crazy girl. And he's like, this passion exists, you know, for 200 years, but there's like very little study of it. And so she's kind of like, her book is a sort of examination of why that is. And then like, what's, how do we read kind of girlness and the love for horses alongside each other? So it's yeah. interesting though, that like the person who coined the term is a, is a psychiatrist. Yeah. I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm not surprised because that also seems like a specious reading of a normative and fairly common phenomenon <laughs> to, to say to fix crazy to, 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 to pathologize uh, mm-hmm. an interest of women and girls, which seems right on track for psychiatry still today, but particularly uh, in the middle part of the century. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but I couldn't find anything uh, very data driven. I found a like descriptive study about two eight-year-old girls playing horses, but it was real like in the weeds of play therapy theory. And I I couldn't figure out how to make it interesting for our audience. So don't worry about it, guys. I promise I'm not leaving anything cool on the cutting room floor. Um, (laughs) But there's a lot of interesting treatises though, because particularly it seems like the Google searches for horse girl and horse girl memes have sort of skyrocketed in the last five years. So there's quite, I found quite a number of really good blog sort of compilations about like what horse girl means and what the experience has been both from horse girls and from non-horse girls. So I'll put a couple of those links up as well, but I couldn't really find anything academic. So those are my main pieces. Before we, as a segue to you, Emily, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you thought of all of the class stuff in this book, because, you know, Mallory's taking these lessons at Kendall, or maybe, maybe it's also Anne, because some of it seemed very ridiculous to me. And that's maybe part of the ghostwriters, right? So she's taking these classes at Kendallwood Farm. And, um, you know, she, she doesn't need to get an English writing habit, but she shows up in kind of like grubby stuff that she wore to ride horses at camp. And everybody else is like crisp and turned out in like fancy riding clothes. And all the kids go to like private schools or live more on that it sounds like in fancy outskirts of Stony Brook or in other towns, maybe between Stony Brook and Stanford. If Mallory can ride her bike there, how far can it be? Well, they aren't riding their bike. No, but Mallory's going to. No, no, no. The, the, the farm isn't halfway. The kids live the kids in house. other towns. Oh, I the thought, kids' birthday party house. She goes oh, to. I yeah. thought Mallory could ride her bike to the Kendallwood whatever farm. She oh. can. Yes. Kendallwood is in Stony Brook. Oh, the kids that go to Kendallwood for riding lessons live Don't, in Tony yeah, towns, it sounds like. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, and particularly she goes to this like pool patio party where they have big screen TVs outside playing MTV and, uh, the, I just the whole thing seemed I I guess I wanted them to make more of that stuff and it was it seemed more like Mal was being awkward and less like there was true like it had the the trappings of like a John Hughes film but then they didn't really explore it and I just yeah. was curious what you guys thought it's a little boring like you don't there's no kind of through line drawn out of that right like Mal's like oh they all go to the same school that makes sense as to why they're not interested in making new friends like I don't know yeah, I think it's like a little, just a little bit of a caricature of wealth and there's not, they don't do much interesting with it, which I think you're right is kind of, they could, there could have been more done with that, that setup. I just feel like, like the horse plot is disappointing because besides, I guess some of the kids did make fun of her outfit or they made, she felt like, you know, kind of like an outcast because of that. But really like, that's like, just like life, man. Like, I don't know. I had so many experiences like that as a kid that I was, I don't know. That's just what happens when you're like 11 and you, tr- you like go into a group of people that you don't know. It's, it's awkward as hell. And like, especially if you're socially awkward in the first place, it's, you know, and you go to a party where you don't know anyone. It's like, yeah, I'm going to stand around too and just be like, I don't know right. who to talk to, you know, like, I don't know. That's why I'm kind of like, there should have been more. I feel like it would have, the horse thought would have focused more on some sort of like horse relationship, maybe more expanded her relationship with Pax or like, 
some some lesson learned from that instead of it being more about she didn't like it because of feeling like she didn't have friends there or feeling left out. That just seemed kind of weak to me. I don't think that's why she didn't like it. I think she didn't like it because she got bucked off of Gremlin and like very narrowly missed getting very seriously hurt. And so then, I mean, that's the other psychology piece. That's why we have the phrase back on the horse, right? It's like exposure does work. It's better to do things again if you get scared. But it sounds like it was a very traumatic fall and a very traumatic experience. Yeah. She flipped backwards over the... But you didn't think so? I don't know. They had to go to the hospital. I mean, I wasn't there, (laughs) so I can't say. (laughs) Wow. Real dig on the writing there, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, I do. I did like that they had her keep going, right? And not just quit then. And I also thought it was realistic uh, that she was still afraid, even though she went to five more lessons, right? So so I, I think we have an idea in our culture that if you're afraid of something and you just make yourself do it, then you won't be afraid anymore immediately. And it usually takes a lot of reps. That's why anxiety treatment is effective, but hard, right? Is that you have to keep doing the thing that you're afraid of. And it takes a while for your um, panic or other anxiety symptoms to go down. So I thought that that was realistic that she did it and still didn't want to keep doing it. All right. Emily, tell me about horse girls. (laughs) I mean, I don't really know much about horse girls. I just, there's very little, uh, actually serious attention to this in feminist scholarship as well. Um, so this book that I was talking about before is like kind of the only book that exists in like gender, gender studies. Um, and it was published in 2019 really recently. It's by a person who is a professor actually at the CUNY graduate center, which is kind of fun in sociology and WGS, um, Jean Haley is her name. And the book is called Horse Crazy Girls and the Lives of Horses. It's interesting. So, right, she asks this question, like, girls love horses. Why do the girls love horses, right? Um, what does gr- the girl's love of, of the horse say about kind of what it means to be a girl? And also, what does it say about the meaning of horse lives? So she's also an animal studies person. So she kind of links, you know, like studies of girlhood and girls loving horses to animal studies um, work on kind of how the lives of animals are valued. And she was a person who grew up riding horses and not having very many friends. And so is interested in the kind of like the cultural trope and then exploring that against the landscape of kind of um, analyses, you know, gendered feminist theories of girlhood. And she argues that like, which is kind of an interesting argument, I think that there's kind of like a two prong um, thing going on with gender here. So in one way, the love of horses and the girl horse is in some way kind of um, reproductive of traditional gender norms, right? Girls care for the horses. So it's part of their, you know, sort of like natural, right, scare quotes abound role as caregivers and nurturers that their relationship with the horse is one of uh, largely of of care. But then there's all these other ways in which girls' love of horses and time spent with horses really transgresses some um, or challenges some typically sexist ways of thinking about fe- being female, especially, um, you know, if you compare kind of like wafy, thin notions of what it means to be girly to like the sort of physical, physicality of like riding a horse and caring for a horse and that kind of thing. And so like that also bonds with these animals were ways that girls kind of escape some of the social pressure of, of being girl, girly or the requirements of being girly is something else that she talks about um, in the book, which I think is like a really cool reading of it. Right. Cause it's like, you know, back, back to the dialectic again, both and right. Both um, traditionally feminine and in some ways a really bit major challenge to kind of like, um, you know, sexist notions of, of what it means to be a girl. Uh, but I, the most interesting argument in the book that I think she makes is that that horses are a type of capital in the U.S., right? A type of animal capital. And that, like, as symbolic capital, they kind of act as this normalizing vector for girls, right? We have this idea of horse girl. So, like, the symbol of the horse and its attachment to girl in spite of the fact that many girls are attracted to horses for reasons that that transgress traditional sexist norms, still kind of renders people into girlhood, right? Like 
the symbol of the horse and its attachment to the girl means if you are a horse girl, you're a girl, right? Yeah, we don't have horse boys. No one talks right. about horse boys. Exactly. Um, but then she also talks about like how horses also exist as more kind of traditional economic capital. And she talks, she does a lot of like interviews and and personal narrative about girls who love horses. And then a lot of really interesting animal study stuff on like how how we treat how we treat horses as a society, which is like, spoiler alert, not great. And so like, what does it say that the animal that symbolizes girlhood, even at the same time that a lot of girls' personal reasons for moving to horses have have more to do with shying away from some requirements of girlhood than acceding to them, that we also don't treat horses with dignity, right? I mean, to your point that like, of course, the, um, you know, the psychiatrist who creates the term horse crazy is like pathologizing uh, an interest that's, that's, you know, typically or, or sort of like um, symbolically attached to, to girlhood. So I just thought like as a set of arguments, those are really fascinating together. And I think it's also really interesting that there's so much rep cultural representation of horse girls and so much kind of discourse, right. Capital D discourse on girls and horses, but actually very little kind of scholarly scholarly attention to the gendered dynamic of that. And like how, how horse girl is sort of made, right. Like yeah, in, the, in the abstract. That, that is um, weird. Like doing our little dueling academic thing, because I, I, I was not super surprised that I didn't find a lot in the psychology literature, but I was like, Oh, I'm sure that's fine. Cause Emily will have a ton to say about this because it's literally everywhere. I mean, from Tina on Bob's burgers to like, I mean, there's lots, there's lots about this. Um, so that's very surprising to me given some of the other, kind of more what I think of as more niche cultural topics that have been given, you know, that we've learned about from you have been given serious kind of gender and political discourse. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with that kind of dichotomy, right? Horse girls are girls, but there's something about like being a horse girl that also is a little bit sort of tangential to traditional, the traditional feminine, in a way. And so I think like that makes it kind of a difficult phenomena to, to analyze at the level of like how gender is being sort of navigated and, and produced right through the horse girl as a kind of trope. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've not read the book, but I listened to her do a couple podcast interviews about it. And it's just, I think it's really an interesting kind of niche that has a lot of attention, but very little kind of scholarly attention. Yeah. That's so interesting. I think I, you know, we talked about this a little bit in a previous episode, but I was not, I, I was a horse girl the way Mallory and Jesse are horse girls, like without any actual interaction with horses, right? I liked the Marguerite Henry books also, and I had some briar horses. But did you guys know like real horse girls growing up? Oh, yeah. Okay. Big nod from Emily who grew up in the Central Valley. So more, better access to horses probably than we had in Sacramento. Um, also like in Three Rivers. Yeah. Right, you live next door to people that had horses. Like, mm-hmm. there's more space, and people yeah, have their own families yeah. with young girls, and they're you know you ride at a very very young age. It's like just part of living on the farm or whatever. Yeah, which is also right. Like, I think in that vein that she's talking about it being sort of transgressive, right? That girls are working on farms and not just making you know like little house on the prairie making butter, right? But like working with the horses, riding them out in the field, right? That's a very kind of active sort of physical labor to, to be doing, um, which is, you know, transgressive of the typical kind of nurturing feminine um, passive passivity, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's, it's interesting that that's like in my experience where, where I've run into horse girls in the wild as it were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And anybody in college or anything, you went to Davis, so it's an ag school, but I guess you were hanging out in the English department. I didn't really have any friends in college, so I didn't really (laughs) know anyone with a horse or anything. But I will say that I live by like an equestrian center at a park that I I walk past frequently on my walks. And there's usually horses there being like ridden around and stuff, which I enjoy watching. They're always men riding them literally with cowboy hats and like lassos and like some of them are like turning the horses around in a circle or like, you know, kind of like teaching them how to like walk backwards or do all that sort of stuff. Sometimes there's like, like, you know, foals there who are just getting broken in and stuff. And I don't, I've never had an affinity for horses, but I do think horses are very cool as an animal. 
And a question I always have is since for thousands, like horses have been used for thousands of years as transportation, right? So like, or like, like how dogs like humans. So like horses, like do horses basically want to have a human on their back? (laughs) I don't think so. No. What does the psych research say about that? Yeah, I don't have psych research. I know there's like a whole horse liberation movement. And I, I, you know, I met a young person who was really into, you know, the only way you should ever ride horses is bareback and with no bit in their mouth and no bridle and like that they want to be more free. But uh, like, you're right. There's, it certainly seems like, I don't know. This is, I'm just modern jackassing. I I don't actually know anything about this. I mean, neither do I. Neither do you, it sounds like. (laughs) But it's interesting, right? It's like people really like riding horses a lot. And horses yeah. seem to tolerate humans pretty yeah. well. So, yeah, that's one of the things that um this professor talks about in the book, right? That like as a, you know, in contexts where women might be like confined to, you know, certain geographic spaces, right? the like freedom of getting on a horse and kind of being able to move, right. Is it sort of, um, something that is not typically associated with the feminine. So like the, the sort of, you know, empowerment is kind of an empty girl power word at this point, but I think there is like something there that's empowering. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting because there's like horse girl and then there's cowboys. It's like horses can be very masculine to a cowboy, yeah. but for yeah, but only but only for adult men. Not there's no boy. Like a cowboy is not a boy. But there are little right? boys who want to like be a cowboy, though. Yeah, but we're still talking about something different, though, right? Because I don't think that even if we're saying if we're going to try to use cowboy in the way that horse girl is used, we're not describing like a boy that's like obsessive about horses in the way. Like I don't think we have that trope, and I certainly don't think that. We, uh, right, you, you don't know. see like horse toys marketed to boys in the way you see them marketed to girls and that kind of thing. Yeah, it, yeah. I guess it's interesting that like a horse is kind of this blank canvas of like make it what you want, kind of. Like it can be yeah. super macho, or it can be like eight year old girls love horses because they're so sweet and beautiful. And they're so mm-hmm. pretty, and they have beautiful eyes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. is there something to do with uh, like horses are very masculine they're powerful in in that regard but also very safe in a way because they're like pretty it just makes me think of how like young girls like boy bands Mm, mm -hmm. because it's kind of the same thing it's like they're now you're getting psychoanalytic yeah the horse is the boy band of the pet world exactly of the of the the animal companion world yeah it's like they're powerful but safe that's so funny Right, but the but the safety is an illusion in both situations. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, as as Mallory learns when she falls, yeah, and as Stacy learns and when she becomes boy crazy, yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't love know. It, Anne, love it. I'm sure. Should we like segue with horse girl away from feminist theory into into pop culture here? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> While we're on it, it, which horse at Kendallwood Farm is which member of NSYNC? No, I'm kidding. What What do you? Oh, what, I mean, honestly, I couldn't even. Can't, okay, I, I feel like maybe can either of you name five types of horses? Types? Yes. Okay. Yes. Arabian, Clydesdale, Appaloosa, Quarter Horse. Maybe not. <laughs> um, wait. Oh, so many listeners are screaming into their pod catcher right now because I know we have a lot of Mallory's and a lot of Marianne's that listen to this show. And so many of them. No, I, you guys don't have a kind of horse that I didn't say. Pal- Palomino. The kinds you didn't of horses. Pal- Palomino. Palomino. There we go. There. That's, that's five. I mean. Mustang. Mustang. Oh, wow. Okay. Six. There you go. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I kind of did a little, try to think about like famous, famous horses and just like pop culture. I mean, there's a lot of them, obviously, because of there's a lot of books and there's a lot of like, there were a lot of Western movies, um, a lot of movies based on actual horses, racehorses, like Seabiscuit or something. But who, like, I mean, to me, the most famous horse is Mr. Ed, right? Yes. 
<laughs> it has to be. Which is really weird that it's for both of us that's the case because that's like a decidedly boomer reference. It's not a Gen Yeah, but it was always on it was always on TV. Yeah. Emily, have you ever seen Mr. Ed? I have not. I don't know what that is. You don't know what it is? <laughs> oh my God. No. It's okay, Mr. Ed is a talking horse. <laughs> And but he's a secret. He lives in this guy Wilbur's barn, and only Wilbur knows that he talks, and he only talks in front of Wilbur, and then hijinks ensue because Wilbur has to keep him a secret. And they would put peanut butter in Mr. Ed's mouth to make his lips go like this, and then they did a voiceover. Ew. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, You've never heard the theme song to Mr. Head? I think you might have sung it on this podcast before. I don't think we've ever <laughs> talked about Mr. Ed on this podcast. I think we might have. I think Emily's right. I think it, I think it came up before. Um, Listeners, let us know. If someone has been listening from the beginning, you could send us an email. But I was surprised to know that Mr. Ed, except for a couple of shows in the beginning, was played by the same horse for the entirety of the series. Oh, that seems obvious Does to it? me. People would notice if they switched the horse. You think so? Yes. You couldn't find a horse that looks similar, like the, how they like switched out Lassie all the time. No, because horses are, I don't think so. Here because comes Esme's it, horse girl explanation about how old. Yeah. No, I think it, <laughs> look, collies look like collies and you can breed collies to, and, and you could get one of Lassie's relatives to replace Lassie. But I think that, and I also think it's easier to train a dog to be on television than it is to train a horse to be on television. So I think that the, the idea that they could find a horse that I looks exactly like we just like said dogs horse. are better actors than horses. <laughs> I, I stand by it. I think to be able to find a horse that looked exactly like the original Mr. Ed and that they could use effectively without it costing millions, because there's no digital, they're all in tape, man. They needed to not waste the studio's money. Also, horses live a long time. Why would they change them out? Wow. He was trying to organize a union. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, also yeah. interesting so that he did have like a stunt double the horse's name uh mr ed's name was bamboo harvester which is very an interesting name for a horse horses always have weird names don't they if you watch like the preakness stakes or whatever they all have like yeah bizarre... but bamboo harvester is a little that's it's like very literal yeah. too it's like you harvest bamboo i don't know so okay he had a stable mate pumpkin who was Bamboo Harvester's stunt double, but <laughs> Pumpkin was later the horse in Green Acres. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. A show that I, like, I feel like I, Emily I, has not seen either. I definitely have not. Okay. Oh, love that show. Love Green so Acres. So I thought it would be fun to do a little quiz. Okay. It's everyone has a breeder horse that matches their personality. Which one are you? <laughs> so you guys could either like do it together um, or... Only one of you can do it. I want to know what breed of horse Emily okay. is. Okay, Emily, what are you going to eat for breakfast? Avocado, egg toast, cereal, coffee, or pancakes? Coffee. Um, what time are you waking up? With the sun, 8 a.m., 9 to 10 a.m., after 11 a.m.? 9 to 10 a.m. What are you going to do after breakfast? Look at your phone, exercise, do some work, or clean your room? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I guess do some work. Ooh, twist. Um, okay, <laughs> what are you going to eat for lunch? Salad, a sandwich, pasta, or sushi? Probably a sandwich. Um, what are you going to do after lunch? Hang out with some friends? Go shopping? Make some art or play an instrument? Hang out with some yeah, friends. Yeah, I knew that was coming because you have so many of them. <laughs> what are you going to eat for dinner? Steak, fish, chicken, or pasta? What is this, a wedding? Um, <laughs> fish. What are you going to do after dinner? Look at the stars, watch a movie, spend time in your backyard, or read a book? Spend time in my backyard with some friends. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. What time are you going to go to bed? Before 9, 10 to 11, midnight, or after 1 a.m.? Midnight. You are a Hanoverian. You are, Not one that I could name. You are an incredibly accomplished breed in the arena. You are oh. very ambitious and courageous. You're always grounded. It doesn't sound right. <laughs> You're always grounded, but are the first person to try something new. You are a total individual and you love health food. 
<laughs> wow, that's so spot on. How did it know? <laughs> so the horse image I gave, it just looks like a nice, shiny uh, brown horse. <laughs> the two questions I would have given different answers to were clean my room after breakfast or have a salad for lunch. Yeah. It sets me laughing. I don't know. I think because you just called it brown. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to give like a description. Like like if anybody's just picturing a horse, they're picturing a brown horse. I mean, like, it's literally a brown you horse. Just said that it was shiny. It's very shiny. I thought you were going to go a little more in depth for the audio audience. And then you just said, it's a shiny brown I mean, horse. And I found it really funny. I'm going to put. That's all. I'm going to put. It was funny. I mean, I could give you a better description. No, it's totally okay. fine. It was, it was, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you're a Hanoverian. Congratulations. Great. That sounds like a house in the Game of Thrones. I mean, I'll put up, well, now you- I'll, I'll Instagram this horse so our readers can see. Great. And they'll see it's a shiny brown <laughs> horse. And there's no other way to describe it. <laughs> Hilarious. Are you guys going to do the quiz? Now you'll be a, it'll be, um, I'll do it later. Sorry. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'll do you can it send later. It to me. I'll do it too. It's a good opening salvo. If you're meeting new people at a wedding or a cocktail party, you'd be like, if I was a horse, I'd be a Hanoverian. But if someone, and they'd be like, what okay. if you were seated <laughs> exactly. next to someone at a wedding and they said that to you, <laughs> what would your response be? I would go to the bathroom and text the two of you immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I would be like, I'd be like, oh. I'm sorry, I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Sorry, this fish, chicken, or steak doesn't agree with me. <laughs> okay. Let's see. What do we got for Claudia's candy? There hasn't been a lot of candy lately, to be honest. Well, the last book was a lot better. Christy for President had a fair amount of snacks, but was there an- were there any in this? They talked about the types of food she has in her room. Like more Yeah, generally. they said Red Hots, Mellow Mars, and potato chips. Oh, yeah. And then they're eating potato chips in Chapter 13 when they have the meeting. And Mallory, like, comes clean with her friends about how scared she is. Not a lot. Not a ton of tallies in this book. Just one shy and one sophisticated. Although they do call Margot bossy at one point. And then um, Social Justice Watch. We haven't had anything there in a long time. But this has two references to the Looney Bin and Looney Tunes about the Pike family. So they're... Like the, these, one of these ghostwriters at least likes to call people crazy. So, um, but first time we've had that, I think in like 20 books. I will say when oh. Mallory said a pure white Arabian, it made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, where is this going? Why are you saying this, Jesse? Oh my God, Anne. So funny. I love it. I love it. Well, depending on tone, I think that could have been a very pointed microaggression you know i also felt like that was an unexpected choice for her dream horse yeah i wouldn't choose white i feel like white horses often look yeah oh (laughs) (laughs) yikes damn i i feel like fighting words mallory would have been more like a spotted horse type of person yeah you think so yeah like an appaloosa yeah yeah. Yeah. i don't know what appaloosa looks like but they're like gray with black spots more on the butt, you know? Not a yeah. pure white Arabian. <laughs> Do you guys have weirdest lines? I wrote, I feel like there were a lot of like almost contenders, but nothing that quite f- like fit what I wanted. I thought the the talent show was going to have a little bit punchier one lines, but it was just a lot of like almost, almost funny, but not quite weird enough. <laughs> yeah. What um, was your jam? It's when Mallory is lost in thought. In her horse dreams at a at a meeting, and Chrissy says, "Yoo-hoo, partner!" Yeah, that's a good one. That's actually that's pretty good, good yeah. as a title. That's yeah. very good. Um, I had a couple. One was um, Mallory is thinking to herself about this girl Megan that has eight of her own horses at her house, and she's thinking about how amazing that is. And she says, "Can you imagine it? One for each day of the week." And then I, my, the part that I put down was with one extra for holidays. <laughs> <laughs> one extra for holidays really cracked me up. The idea that you have like a horse that you only bring out only on like Christmas or St. Patrick's Day or whatever. Funny. So yeah, one extra for holidays is one of mine. And then the other one, I don't think we should use, but I just also noticed that the ghostwriters really 
don't want to give up the the dumb Stony Brook slang, oh, whereas Anna and Martin seems to say, past it completely. Yep. So Mallory refers to Stacy as the queen of dibbleness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the queen of dibbleness. No. This is why yeah. Mallory has a hard time making friends because mm-hmm. she says things like yeah. that. Yeah, I know. Poor thing. I think you who partner is really good. Yeah, I'm we'll do that. It. it fits well with Dream Horse. Yeah. <laughs> you who partner. You who uh, partner. What should we pizza toast to? I mean, it should be something horsey related, right? I don't know. I feel like we talked about horses a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right? Can we... To Blanky? Uh, I don't think this is... To Blanky. I don't think this is pizza, to- pizza toast worthy, but I noticed that when Haley Braddock did her talent for the talent show, they referred to it as doing a split, which is a regionalism that really bothers me. Oh, instead of doing... <laughs> oh, instead of the, the splits. splits. The splits. Oh. Yeah. Do I need pizza toast to the splits? <laughs> No, I said it's not pizza toast worthy. I was just looking over my notes to see if I could find anything for a pizza toast, and that's the best I got. Is this the worst book, or is Jesse and the Super Brat still worse? I don't know. I feel like there's been a worse, worse one, no? Jesse and the Super Brat still has our crown of worst book in the series. I think so this is like, for me, one of the biggest letdowns in okay. terms of the title of the book and what we mm, got yeah. and what we got, actually. Fair enough. Okay. So it's not, yeah, but it's, it doesn't knock Super Brad out yet. Okay, fair enough. So should we teach a toast to the stars of tomorrow, to the Pikes' highly successful talent show that Mallory thought the four younger Pikes couldn't pull off, and then they did? Sure. All right, then you come up with something. <laughs> I mean, we could, um, we could, we could pizza toast to Pax, who has the unfortunate the pure, white, the Arabian. pure white Arabian. He was a very nice horsey. He was a very nice horse. They did seem to develop yeah, a relationship. I like that. Even though yeah. he has a name that will someday become the name of a vape pen, but it means peace. Oh, that makes sense. Peace pipe. <laughs> I can I could pizza toast to Pax, yeah. shall we? Okay. Great. A pizza toast to Pax. Pizza toast to pizza Pax. Toast to Pax. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Salar Khan. You can find her work and hire her at propodcastediting.net. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. You can also join us on Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. <laughs>